now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential. Derived from our maker, that is liberty. And liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And greetings, happy Monday. Welcome to the Steve Day Show podcast edition here on Westwood One, powered by CRTV. Thank you for those of you subscribing to us on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you haven't yet, please consider doing so. And if you're willing, take a couple minutes out of your day, leave us a positive review. Those do add up, they do matter. People don't necessarily read every review, but when they see that uh, you know one podcast has a lot of positive reviews, when there's so many options out there for them, they're more likely to try it. So anything you guys could do, if you dig what we do and you want to support it, that's just a simple, inexpensive way, uh, just a minimal time investment, and we greatly appreciate it. Steve at stevedace.com is the email address. Last name is spelled D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter, at Steve Dace Show. And I just want to say really quick, the amount of positive feedback I have gotten to the eschatology and how it may drive hmm. political activism podcast we did last Thursday for Theology Thursday has blown me away, man. Because I was I was bracing myself. All right, I was. I'm not. What's the the ver, what's the the verse in Job where God says to, to to Job, "Gird your loins like a man." I was girding. I was done undergirded. Okay, I was waiting for it to come. I was wearing a steel cup, looking for Jimmy kicks. Okay, I have been exceedingly impressed with how overwhelmingly the positive reaction to that was. And a lot of it is people learn things about other viewpoints they didn't know um, and appreciated how we tried to keep it as as objective as we could by just simply, uh, you know, calling, doing the play-by-play more so than the, you know, than the advocacy. And uh, I just thank you to all of you because... Man, I, I walked out of here. I was keeping my head low, waiting for the fallout. And so far, it's been overwhelmingly positive. So thank you very much for that. The so. heretic meter was understated all the way around? Well, yeah, apparently. Or it could just be that I've added a filter in my company email to take out all criticisms because I'm a snowflake and I can't handle that. So I just could be just seeing the positive stuff. Oh, that's what happened to my filter. I installed it <laughs> on, your, on your email address instead of mine. But uh, I'm seeing you. We just finished our show for CRTV. Let's give the audience a little tease of what's to come today. Uh, if they are a subscriber or would like to become one, Aaron, I'll start with you. Set your expectations low for fake news or not. Indeed. Indeed. Solo, you don't want to miss it. Yeah. Todd. Well, yeah, if you are uh, kind of like, oh, man, Donald Trump, if you're on your, for whatever reason, you, you were holding out this long and you're kind of feeling up against the ropes and like, ah, this, this is, I'm exhausted. We give you your two Democratic frontrunners from 2016, boys and girls. That'll put some spring back in your step. Yeah, I, I am, I can't get into what, Many people who are far wealthier and more successful than I am are doing a conservative media about the 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 Hillary comparisons because she lost. I'm interested in what the person who has the levies of power to make decisions that determine the fate of my children are doing, right? But man, it is really hard to get on people on our side for doing Hillary clickbait when you have stuff like we're going to show the audience today on CRTV that went down over the weekend, you know? It's not like we're dragging Walter Mondale out of mothballs here. I mean, she, the girl won't go away. She won't even go away mad, Motley Crue. I mean, she just, and if she, when she keeps putting herself out there, she is easy clickbait for um, conservative media on our side to play off of, especially when you see stuff like you're going to see today on CRTV. All right, so CRTV.com, promo code DACE. If you're not yet a subscriber, use my name and get a discounted subscription. You can also get access with that subscription to all the shows here on CRTV as well, including the great one, Mark Levin, and our entire team. CRTV.com, promo code DACE. And yes, we do have monthly subscription options available as well. Before we get into today's podcast, and we're going to talk for weekend news and views. We're going to talk about one particular story only. We're going to dive deep into this. And that's what's going on right now at Michigan State University. Because it's, it, it's emblematic of a larger conversation 
we're not comfortable having as a culture, but we need to have. And between Todd and I, we have six daughters. So this is a subject that obviously hits close to home for us when you're talking about a campus rape culture. And a lot of you have questions about, you know, we're not going to necessarily get into the whether the football coach should stay, the basketball coach should stay. Obviously, their roles in the story so far we will have to discuss. But that's, that's probably more for a, a specific sports analysis show. We're going to have a broader conversation attempting to provide one answer. We're not saying it's the answer or the theory, but it's a plausible hypothesis, a, a potential answer that a lot of you have wondering, why did they keep going to the athletic department? Why, why did these women go to the Title IX officer? How could a school have 16 cases in 10 years of sexual assault against its football program? How, that's a mind-numbing number. And we're just hearing about these things. Uh, there's some, uh, you know, critical of the media when they deserve it. But in this case, ESPN's doing yeoman's work. I've, I've heard some apologists for Michigan State say, well, that, well they're, 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 this is opportunistic because of the whole Larry Nassar situation. Actually, ESPN has been working on this story with Michigan State for well over a year. And only recently did they win at the state Supreme Court. See, ESPN began, this whole story began because ESPN was working on how much are athletes really protected if they're accused of violent crimes in light of what happened at Baylor and Penn State with Jerry Sandusky, the former assistant coach. So this is not some SJW No, this is not. Crusade. And so what they did is they went to 10 successful, we don't know who the other nine are, They went to 10 successful athletic departments and they put in a freedom of information action request about what's how much what's the traffic flow at your Title IX office with sexual misconduct allegations. And my guess is, you know, they they took very successful ones. I mean, Mark Hollis, who just resigned as Michigan State's athletic director, has been considered one of the best athletic directors in the country. This is the most successful run of football and men's basketball simultaneously Michigan State over a long period of time has had in the history of the university. And the other nine schools honored ESPN's FOIA request. Can you guess the one that did not? It was Michigan State. And then they stonewalled and stonewalled and stonewalled. Finally, they gave in and they redacted so much of the information that it wasn't worthy of the merit of the request. And so they had to go all the way to the Michigan Supreme Court twice to get these records. So this is not a case of pile on because of what happened with Nasser. Now, the Nasser case... This is the gymnastics physician who was fondling and molesting young women for 20 years. Raping them, essentially, with his hands. The Nasser case is one of the reasons that this story blew wide open. I'll get to that, though, in a moment. But there's, a, there's, an, there's an uncomfortable reality that I think we as a culture need to confront that might answer. I'm not saying it's the answer. I'm not saying one of the answers isn't too much, too much wealth and faith is placed in these. And I'm a college sports fan, man. I love it. But too much weight and wealth and faith is placed in the institution over the well-being of the individual. We've seen this before. We can attest to this. We've seen this before in the church, right? Too much faith is put, is put in, in, in the need to protect the institution than the, than the, the value of the individual. Indeed. Okay, that's absolutely part of this conversation. But there's another angle to it, that even if we addressed all those other ones, if we didn't confront this reality, still would not solve the problem. And I want us to have it as this conversation as tactfully as we can. But before we do that, I need to say this. We do the best we can to be objective and have as much... I can't offer total transparency. There's things that people trust me with I can't tell you. I mean, but I do my best, and we all do our best on the show, to be as transparent as we can. Obviously, there was a story in the political world over the last couple of months in similar vein to what's happening at Iowa State. Or I'm sorry, at Michigan State. That... 
I, I'm going to speak for myself here only, I took a bit of a contrarian view on. And that's the, the allegations against Judge Roy Moore. Now, I want to have accountability from you guys. If I misrepresent how I handled my affairs, you, can, you tell me. I said from the outset, from the moment I read the original Washington Post report, I found the accusations credible. Did I not say that? Yeah. Right. Okay. On the other hand, Roy Moore has been a friend of mine for years. I have a reality where I do not know these women, though I find the reporting and allegations in the original report credible. He calls me the following Sunday after the story comes out after church, vehemently denies these things to me person to person on the phone. That's actually the last direct conversation I've had with Roy was that conversation. I will disclose that. So now I'm in a situation where allegations are made against someone I personally know that do not fit any other aspect of his MO whatsoever that he directly denies to me. But at the same time, I find the women, at least their initial, there was nothing about their initial allegations that I did not find credible in terms of whether I believe them is different than whether I think that I don't find them credible. Meaning there's an initial, if I find them credible, there's an initial threshold to then investigate, okay, is this true, right? Okay. Um, I could not handle that objectively. I have, I'm too close to the situation. So I, we did an entire show about this. If you're a subscriber at CRTV, you can go watch that show that we did last December. I walked through my, my thought process on this for accountability point by point. And then you'll recall, I've, if you go back to watch how we handled it from that moment on, I largely divorced myself from this story. I, I allowed people who, and I even think I said that if, you didn't know, if I didn't know Roy Moore, I don't know that I'd be as accommodating. That could be a curse or a blessing. It could be because I do know him, I'm going to give him more of a fair shake. It could also be because I know him, I maybe don't want to believe things that might be true. I don't know the answer. When, I mean, Todd, you openly took the position. You didn't find his defenses credible enough that you could continue justify voting for him. That was your position, right? And about day four, yes, before they finally— Did I ever try and talk you out of that on oh. the show? Oh, never. Did I ever tell you, hey, don't, don't, don't say that to our audience. Don't say you wouldn't support him. Did I ever do that? The opposite, in fact. Okay. I, I said I needed some corroborating evidence. Okay, if you want me to jump ship on a friend, I, then I need more than your word versus his word. I need corroborating evidence. About day four, some corroborating evidence was offered into testimony, right? Correct. And that was the signature on the yearbook, as we all recall. And from that moment on, my stance was, particularly because Roy chose to make that the brunt of his defense, that that was not his signature. And from that moment on, I said what? Let's bring a three-person panel in. The state attorney general of Alabama brings in their witness, Gloria Allred, and the accuser brings in hers, and the judge brings in his. And that way we have all three potential angles to this. The people are represented through the attorney general. The defense is representative, or the accused and the accuser. And then it's two out of three, right? We'll see what they say. You show me that, that he's lying, I will jump ship. They never did that. In fact, they admitted days before the election, they then admitted to doctoring or adding to, depending on how you want to word it, his original signature while claiming he did sign it, but then she added an inscription to it. Is that right? That is. Okay. It. Yes. Um, that's why I never recanted my endorsement. I placed it on objective evidence to remove it as much from my bias and my emotion as I could, and then it never followed through. Now, here are some events that have transpired since that case went down. That should be noted. The judge has not, up until this point, aggressively pursued going after what he claimed was journalistic malfeasance at the Washington Post. They did send an initial cease and desist letter during the campaign, but there has been no official follow-up regarding that. If I'm, I think that's right, right? They've not done anything to follow up with that. No. And I think it's reasonable to say that if that were you and you were falsely accused, would you not go to the ends of the earth to get your reputation back? I think that's fair to say. Because I have personally. Yeah. And you have gone through that. Right. 
On the other hand, I believe one of the accusers is now suing him because she he claimed that he didn't even know her, right? Didn't she? Didn't one of the accusers in the last month file a person a lawsuit against him? I believe that I actually don't I think know. that did happen. Okay. So again, if you didn't know Roy, I can see why people would say, well, let's see. He's not following up on his end to get his reputation back. She's suing him. I, I'm just trying to get out there why it may sound like we're going to discuss this situation differently than the other one. Because I have a personal bias in the other Roy Moore situation. I did my best to remove myself from that. I, I can't completely do it. I'm a human being. All I can do is disclose to you up front that I have this bias, allow you to then filter my comments and analysis through that, and try to give you as much grace for your conscience in that matter, therefore, as much as you would give me on my end. And I just wanted to state that up, up front before we move on to looking at this at Michigan State. Is that fair? Yeah. Okay. Because what we have here at Michigan State, in my view, now you may disagree, but that's why I wanted to address the Moore situation up front. In my view, it's different. And I, I, I posted in some places some, some sports message boards I frequent. When, 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 the title, when the former Title IX officer, and who's a Title IX officer? Someone that is there on campus to make sure a university is complying with Title IX, which is a federal statute, which essentially is an, an, an equal opportunity statute, equal protection under the law statute based on gender. All right? When the former Title IX officer at Michigan State went to the Nasser hearing, when, when all of her, his victims stood, or many of them anyway, the ones that hadn't committed suicide, obviously could not be there. Um, the ones, some not, but met, over 100 of them showed up. She came to testify, the former Title IX officer at Michigan State. She was employed by the university for seven years. And she specified that two men's basketball players, Keith Appling, and Adrian Payne, who if you follow Big Ten basketball, you know those names. They were two of Michigan State's best players in the last few years. That they were specifically charged with gang raping a girl and nothing happened. I said at that time that that allegation, and it's understand understood why a lot of media didn't focus on it at the time because there's so much with the women and the victims coming forward, but that that allegation was going to take this from a Jerry Sandusky to a Jerry at Penn State to a to um, imagine if if one school had a Jerry Sandusky and a Baylor, and then imagine if one school had a Jerry Sandusky and two Baylors, not just the football program but football and men's basketball, the two big revenue sports at the same time. So Nasser is the Sandusky. Assaulting pubescence and underage girls. All right, so he's the he's the he's the he's the creep. He's the fiend. Okay, we knew that was going on, but the minute she made that allegation, this was going to have the tentacles of a hydra. Because see, a lot of people are going to have a hard time believing. And I wrote about this over the weekend for a Conservative Review. Not excusing what happened at Baylor, but it's easier for us to understand why a school with a top 10 college football team and all the money that brings in hover, hit all of this all this time because they didn't want to ruin their cash cow or Penn State, how much money that football program made for that university and that community for the decades Joe Paterno was there. A lot of us have a hard time understanding a gymnastics program that is at best a glorified subsidy. Why would you hide this? You Especially white male he's literally the handmaid's tale has come to life he literally is leftist agate prop larry nasser is everything every women's studies professor has ever warned you about he is the patriarchy's ultimate fiend if they ever had a reason particularly when you have the the president of michigan state this, in, this during this time herself is a part of the politically correct, correct, cherished victim class. They would have every incentive, would they not, Todd, to out this guy and say, see, these dumb conservatives, they, they, we found this is who we were talking about. He cost them no, in fact, he was costing them money. And he wasn't bringing in anything to the university. He wasn't an asset. He was strictly a liability with a non-revenue sport. This was the perfect opportunity to hold somebody up, throw him under the bus and say, he's not even a straw man anymore. He is thou art the man. Why didn't they do it? 
And when the former Title IX officer alleged in that hearing that two prominent men's basketball stars also were accused of fiendish behavior and got off, see, people, are, people aren't going to believe when you could have just thrown the gymnastics program under the bus, why didn't you do it? Well, maybe one reason why you didn't do it, not saying it is, but one plausible reason why is because it wasn't just the gymnastics program, but it was systemic. Last June, when four Michigan State players were removed for gang raping a girl, allegedly, Mark D'Antonio, the football coach, claimed that, hey, I've never seen this before. Well, ESPN's outside the lines. You'll get some details from Aaron in a moment. Yeah, he has seen this 16 other times, actually, or 12 other times, because there was four men in this story. Today, Yesterday, Tom Izzo claimed when one of his former assistant coaches was accused by ESPN outside the lines, and, and this is different than Roy Moore, in that they have corroborating. This isn't, hey, he was banned from the Gadsden Mall, then two mall managers later said that never happened. They have the, they have the police report. They showed it on camera. They showed this former assistant coach punching a woman, according to the police report. They, they showed the allegation in another police report that he and some of the players he was coaching, quote, ran a train. That's, called, that's slang for gang raped a girl. They showed these police reports on camera, guys. And, and yesterday, Tom Izzo, the basketball coach, claimed, well, I have no idea why Travis Walton left my program shortly thereafter when we found out today that he had actually been living in Tom Izzo's basement that entire time. He let him live in his basement. You have no idea why a, co- a former player of yours who you hired to then be a coach was so close to you personally that you let him live in your house. You have no idea why he left? Really? Does anybody buy that? Doesn't pass any smell test. Those aren't the only details that ESPN has brought to light, Aaron. Yeah, and this story is, uh, I mean, it's an excellent piece of journalism by um, ESPN's Outside the Lines. And if I read the whole story here, it would take an entirety of the next probably two or three days. Um, so I'll try to hit some of the highlights here of, of the story from Outside the Lines, kind of resetting uh, where we are at. And this is the original story that came out. Michigan State University administrators have long claimed to the federal government and public that they have handled sexual assault, violence, and gender discrimination complaints properly. But an outside-the-lines investigation has found a pattern of widespread denial, inaction, and information suppression of such allegations by officials ranging from campus police to the Spartan Athletic Department, whose top leader, Mark Hollis, announced his retirement on Friday. The actions go well beyond the highly publicized case of former uh, Michigan State University athletic physician Larry Nasser. Over the past three years, MSU has three times fought in court unsuccessfully to withhold the names of athletes in campus police records. The school has also deleted so much information from some incident reports that they were nearly unreadable in circumstances in which administrators have commissioned internal examinations to review how they have handled certain sexual violence complaints. Officials have been selective in releasing information publicly. In one case, a university hired outside investigator claimed to have not even generated a written report at the conclusion of his work. (laughs) <laughs> and attorneys who have represented accusers and the accused agree on this. University officials have not always been transparent and often put the school's reputation above the need to give fair treatment to those reporting sexual violence and to the alleged perpetrators. Even Michigan State's most recognizable figures, football coach Mark D'Antonio and basketball coach Tom Izzo, have incidents involving their programs. Since D'Antonio's tenure began in 2007, at least 16 Michigan State University football players have been accused of sexual assault or violence against women. D'Antonio said at one point, quote, This is new ground for us. We've been here 11 years, and it has not happened previously. He said that just months ago. Outside the lines also has obtained never-before-publicized reports of sexual or violent incidents involving members of Izzo's storied basketball program. 
Michigan state officials, including former President Luana Simon, who resigned last Wednesday, have been criticized for a lack of transparency and for not properly handling the Nassar sexual abuse allegations. As far back as 1997, athletes began telling multiple MSU officials, including the university's longtime gymnastics coach, coach that Nassar was assaulting them under the guise of medical treatment. Last Thursday, Outside the Lines reported that MSU officials in 2014 did not notify federal officials that the university had dual Title IX and campus police investigations of Nasser underway. In her resignation statement, this is the president, Simon, former President Simon, was defiant, saying that, quote, as tra- tra- tragedies are politicized, end quote, someone had to take the blame. Yet former Michigan State's sexual assault counselor Lauren Alsweed, who left the university in 2015 over frustrations about how administrators handled sexual assault cases, told Outside the Lines that Michigan State administrators' entire approach to such cases had been misguided for years. Hmm. In the Nassar case, campus police in Michigan State's Title IX office did not formally begin investigating him until 2014. 17 years after the first complaint was made to a Michigan State coach. There's, to me, there's two separate stories here. Michigan State defenders, and I'm a former Michigan State student, by the way. I went to school there for two years. And I was there right as Larry Nasser was coming in, actually. I was there from, ni- from 1992 to 1994. That's when I was there. Um, I stayed at Wonders Hall, where a lot of athletes stayed. Right out my window was Spartan Stadium. Well, Steve, you're a big Michigan fan. Well, yeah, I didn't have good enough math grades to get into Michigan, so I had to go to Michigan State. I greatly enjoyed my time there, so much so I don't remember much of it, frankly, which I wouldn't necessarily um, recommend as a means of uh, following through in your higher ed, okay? Um, There's two separate stories here. Because Michigan State's defenders want to say, well, this could go on anywhere. In one instance, they're right, but not in the way they think. And we're going to talk about that in a minute, okay? Because what's transpired here at Michigan State goes beyond the broader cultural issue that I want us to address. One of the prosecutors that, that kept refusing to follow, follow up on charges when police, based on police reports later went to work in the Title IX office at Michigan State. Imagine putting it in another political context. You know, it's like, it's like hiring a lobbyist. It's like electing a lobbyist to Congress. Or when people leave Congress, they go and become lobbyists. No. No. One of the other prosecutors, Stuart Dunning, who often refused to overlook, not prosecute these matters, ended up going to jail himself for his role in a prostitution ring there in Ingham County, Michigan. There is a level of systemic problematic behavior at Michigan State beyond the broader cultural issue that has dialed all, as you like to say, Todd, has dialed this all up to 11, okay? And, and, and to me, that's a separate issue. I don't want to mix the metaphor here, okay, or cross the streams, Ghostbusters. That's a separate issue. I believe in the death penalty for rapists. At the very least, I hope they throw Larry Nassar in a hole, and then they throw away the hole, Okay? Um, because what we're going to talk about next, I want to make sure there is a stark line between that and this. Well, then, Steve, why do you want to talk about it with this? Because this conversation is what is going to bring this other one to light. The one thing Michigan State's apologists, when they say this could happen anywhere, are right about is the conflict between one, each side's varying account and the role of a Title IX officer in trying to mitigate that. We have seen that at the University of Minnesota. We had 10 football players at the University of Minnesota last season get suspended for the bowl game. You guys remember that story? Because of the the police didn't press charges, but the Title IX officer had a different take. My beloved Michigan Wolverines faced this a couple of years ago with a former kicker, Brendan Gibbons. There was an allegation. Police didn't prosecute. Title IX officer came forward later and said, yeah, we don't see it the same way the police do. I would venture a guess more weekends than we want to dare contemplate. A Title IX officer is wading into 
somewhere in America on a major college campus. A he said, she said sexual allegation. And I, I think there's a reality here we need to confront. One of the first stories, I, I, when I owned an Iowa State football fan publication, one of the first stories that I had to cover of this nature involved two football players who were accused of gang raping one of their teammates' sisters. And it was an ugly case, and it went to trial. The jury listened. And it was very clear upon a cross-examination of the girl that she was, more, she was really ashamed of what had happened, and they were exonerated. The volume of cases that have occurred here at Michigan State in all the departments and what happened with Nasser is a separate issue. That, there's a systemic malfeasance happening there. Can we, we will stipulate that right now, right? Yes. Okay. But the one thing Michigan State apologists are right about, and this answers your question of why there's Title IX officers and everything else. Even in one of the allegations ESPN brought out yesterday, they admitted one of the most damaging allegations, if you guys watch the report, is the young girl that was brought to the football player's dorm room or the basketball player's dorm room and they were shooting hoops. They made her disrobe and they raped her right there. Even ESPN admitted, though, that her, her account conflicts at times with who the – or it was football players, actually – who she names. And they, 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 they recovered the, the original investigation conversation with one of the football players that she named. And he's like, I was not even there. But I heard about the incident. Yeah, I can tell you the players who were there. There's, there are women on campus who are willing to do this. I know I've had a major college football assistant coach who went on to become a major head coach in college football. Look me in the eye once and tell me. They had to have grad assistants or volunteer assistants, basically glorified interns who want to get into the coaching ranks. And one of their duties would be to follow certain players around campus on weekends as they hit the bar scene and the party scene. Because the amount of women that would either were on campus or would visit campus, hoping to get impregnated by one of these guys, viewing that as their ticket out. And they just, they weren't sure how they'd even navigate that situation. Uh, you know, and then later, if, if, if there's a rape charge, what do they do? Florida State starting quarterback, DeAndre Francois, was busted a couple of days ago. And the initial story was terrible. Then you find out when you dig a little further, he's actually the one that called the police. This was his alleged baby mama who came to his house. And he tried to restrain her. He's the one that called the cops. What is offered to these athletes? The groupie environment. Go visit a high school football game at a public school in America. And if you're our age or older, the girls do not act the way they did when we were younger. They are the aggressors. What is sent, what they will send to each other on texts, Snapchat, what is openly advertised... One of the things that makes it very difficult to determine, and that's why another bureaucracy was brought in here. So you have the, you have the local police. Can't, major universities like Michigan State have their own police departments that operate separate from the, 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 the city police. So now we've got another, we've got city police, campus police. Throw in another bureaucracy. The feds are now involved with the Title IX compliance officer. Even though she is an, uh, she's a representative of the federal government, she actually works for the university that she's supposed to be monitoring. <laughs> okay? Now throw in alcohol. Throw in an entitlement mentality of many of these male athletes who, when they were on their recruiting visits, there's a reason why the hostesses are never ugly, guys. Okay? 
There's a reason why, hey, we're a big-time party school. When I was at Michigan State, we used to brag about being a top-ten party school. Here in our own backyard, University of Iowa brags about that now. The systemic malfeasance at Michigan State does not go on everywhere. Right down to fighting Michigan, fighting ESPN all the way to the state Supreme Court. That's, that's why they didn't want their, their records out. If what went on at Michigan State went on everywhere, they would have disclosed their records. The reason they didn't disclose their records, because it didn't go on everywhere, and that's pretty obvious now, right? Okay, so let's not confuse the scale of the malfeasance at Michigan State with a core problem that is the campus culture. Entire courses are offered on sex techniques, pornography. We have consensual contracts. This is consent, this is not. When I was a student at Michigan State, women's groups, and they spelled their, their name W-O-M-Y-N, women's groups were having candlelight vigils for sexual assault victims to raise awareness, but if men wanted to come and march with them, they wouldn't let them. Well, it would seem to me, you know, one good way to diminish, if not reduce, if not eliminate sexual assault, who are primarily the sexual assaulters, guys? Men. You'd think you'd want to have them friendly to your cause. They wouldn't let you march with them. One of the reasons these women are struggling to get justice And we've learned from Duke Lacrosse or, and what Rolling Stone did to the University of Virginia. We can't just assume every allegation is a guilty plea, too. There's so much sex. There's so much debauchery. There's so much alcohol. It's really hard to find out what the truth is. There's so much entitlement with these athletes, they're stars, rock stars. They have most favored nation status. They're 17-year-old kids when, that are being recruited in high school. When they come to the basketball game on their visit, the entire student section chants their name. They just got a driver's license last year. There's so many warped worldviews. There's so much sex. There's so much alcohol. So much ego. So much entitlement. And we can't figure out what is a real allegation and what is not, Todd? And we're adding more layers of bureaucracy to try and have more oversight, which is creating more conflict and more confusion. And my guess would be, and I go back to what I, what I covered when I, at Iowa State with the alleged gang rape that was exonerated. When I go back to I've had a former assistant coach at a major college football program who went on to be his own head coach at a college football program tell me they had to assign volunteer and grad assistants to essentially follow guys around either to make sure they weren't assaulting women or there weren't women that were looking to get impregnated because they thought this guy could get to the NFL and that was my meal ticket. This is the uncomfortable reality behind the glowing billboards, the sellout, the sellout crowds, and the trophy presentations and the highlights on ESPN. This is the underbelly of the culture going on here on these campuses. And it makes it, guys, really hard to get to what the truth is. I've heard people say, why don't the parents come out? Well, your daughter, I, I, people that have never had a wife or a sister or kid or their own daughters or who asks that question. Because if you've, if you've lived with women, you know how relationally driven they are as creatures. And when, when the authority figures around them aren't validating their claims, it's rare that a woman will buck, the, will buck the opinions of people she respects that she thinks are going to protect her and go out there on her own. That's why the one woman who came forward on the Nasser case that broke this story wide open is considered such a hero. And then the other women said, it's safe for me to come forward now. And, and if you're that guy asking that question and, and you keep your mouth shut on your job rather than raise a stink, you're probably not the one to be throwing that out there. There's pretty much systemic, let's keep our, our mouth shut and not rock the boat going on in our culture today, whether it's Hollywood, whether it's the church, whether it's academia, whether it's collegiate sports. I think we've seen a lot of that recently, okay? 
But there is a, there's a cultural problem on our campuses that are realities of what we're sending our daughters into with many boys who can shave, who, who come from, many of these star athletes come from single homes, parents' homes, don't have a dad. No one's modeled mas- mas- real masculinity to them. For every Carson Wentz out there, there's a hundred Adrian Paynes and Keith Applings guys that come from neighborhood demilitarized zones where there's not a dad in sight. A dad's like an endangered freaking species, like a dodo bird. And we're sending our daughters into these environments. And they become literal hunting grounds. And that's the part of this conversation that I think we, needs to be had that we are not comfortable having because they lead us down some rabbit holes, Todd, that really just aren't politically correct to address. And in that regard, it is helpful. It's an ugly coincidence, but it is a helpful coincidence that just weeks ago we were talking about Hollywood and Harvey Weinstein because people will still try. This is toxic male macho football masculinity no this this happened in liberal hollywood where you are being lectured by guys who are lecturing all the time about you know whatever the day's version of of me too is so it 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 would be way too easy to do that this is a place where you have gotten rid of traditional standards to such an extent across the board while simultaneously anointing an entitled, a total imposter about the dignity, worth of women, and it is that that morphs on almost a daily basis on exactly what Me Too is supposed to mean. How I mean, when you have, they were just out there uh, this weekend. I saw them. When you have women going out there, totally nude and writing on their body, still not asking for it. Um, there, <laughs> the, it, you are you are you are simultaneously being confronted that in a, uh, that there is a message on the one hand that is of course, and then the other hand is the diametrical opposite. It's you are putting the gun in your mouth while you have a message on that no one should. Uh, you should put the gun argue. in your mouth while yeah. you say, "Don't! How dare you shoot me?" Yes, yes. Yeah. So until we get back to having real conversations about, uh, like Steve says, this is a football. Well, here, these are men, and these are women. And I've been in so many damn groups, organizations, from kids' sports onwards, where they all have their stupid code of honor or conduct or what we're about or our values up on the wall. And they almost never follow through on they just it's the default got to check that box what it what do you stand for at the end of the day people used to say what character is the thing that is uh, who you are when nobody else is looking Mm -hmm. that's exactly wrong it's it's what you do when everybody is looking are you just a are you just a poser? Do you sell out like Steve says? Like almost everybody does. Hey man, I got my own goals. I got I got to be me, and I, I I can't. You know, I'm not going down like that for that person or that thing. Who are you, and what do you stand for? And nobody knows anymore. Aaron, I'm I'm um, struggling to square how something like Title IX can make a millionaire out of a women's field hockey coach at the university formerly of the university of iowa and not protect a gal who got beat up uh, by a former michigan state uh basketball player um if that doesn't tell you that bureaucracy will not solve these problems and to look at a different cause a different route i'm not sure what will Todd is absolutely right. I think that these these instances, you have to take a look at the underlying causes, and that is that this um, feminist movement that we've been seeing in this country for decades, it has all been a lie. It eventually enslaves anything, any tentacle of progressivism, 
whether it's for guys, hey, you can look at porn as much as you want, it's okay. For gals, you can have sex with whoever you want, it's okay. Eventually, all of the lies of progressivism will in turn enslave those who buy them. This is another one, I think, of those, uh, of those, uh, another example of that when we talk about this story. Because something systemically, as you pointed out, Steve, something systemically was wrong at Michigan State. But I think it is, uh, it, that, that's maybe not wrong at other, uh, every single college. Otherwise, they wouldn't be trying to, to, to hide it. But at the same time, it is more widespread. And it, I think it does have its roots, again, in, in progressivism. I don't know what the solution to this is. And one of the reasons, that's one of the reasons why we have a saying on our show, we're not always trying to win an argument. Sometimes we're just trying to start one. I just want to start an argument here. I, I, I think this is something we have to consider. We have a, we have a, a cauldron on our campuses. Punks, boys who can shave, males that are not men and have been fed in too many cases the worst incentivization of their egos, um, creating an entitlement mentality. Extremely lack standards of morality and of sexuality. The flaunting of that sexuality on mobile devices, on apps, on individual texting, Snapchats, etc. Mass consumption of alcohol. No direct parental guidance. In an environment where well, you know, I'm either on scholarship or I'm on, it doesn't even feel like you're paying for it at the time because you're on a scholarship or I'm using a student loan, I'll pay for it later. So you're in this holding stage where you have, you have all the physical accoutrements of adulthood, but almost none of the responsibilities that go along with those benefits at the same time. Throw all of those things together. what will come out will have a bitter taste. And I hope that this provides us an opportunity to have this conversation. Men, dads, be a dad. Raise your sons to be men. Raise your daughters to be aware a lot of that's not happening in our culture. And then we send them out with roosters in the hen house what do we think will happen it's just having this conversation becomes difficult because a lot of our politically correct shibboleths are exposed the underbelly of them are exposed how much we have reduced true masculinity, the need for fatherhood, the idea that the only sexual line now is consent. What is consent in a world where we're arguing every Christmas whether baby it's cold outside is a date rape song or not? Do we know what that even is, what that even means anymore? 
Uh, uh, let, let me tell you what the what the best foolproof consent is. A wedding ring. Okay? That's the best foolproof consent. Notice. Notice. None of the people involved in this. And that's, I'm not talking about what Nasser did. He's a predator. I'm talking about when we have systemic college campus situations of legions of he said, she said charges. If you're a guy and you're like, hey, innocent till proven guilty, how do we know all these guys are guilty? Well, you know, one way they could have avoided getting themselves in this situation at all, you know, one way for DeAndre Francois, the Florida State quarterback, to avoid a messy situation right now with his baby mama, follow me here, uh, don't have a baby mama. Might do it. Think that might do it? Yeah, might do it. Because, man, I can promise you this. If you limit whom you have sex with to whom you're married to at the time, and that person does the same thing, the amount of this trouble, these gray areas you are going to find yourself in, is tremendously reduced. All right, let's stop there. And I hope at the very least... I hope I, I really want, I wanted us to tack, tackle this as tactfully as possible. And at some point we have to confront the culture that is that is enabling and incentivizing predatory behavior that we are creating. At the same time we're asking Michigan State University to confront how it systemically enabled the worst sex offender in American history. It turns out it wasn't an isolated incident. Let us know what you think about what we think. SteveAtSteveDace.com is the email address. You can like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter, at Steve Dace Show. Last name is spelled D-E-A-C-E. Until tomorrow, John 317. This is Steve Dace. I like it, you.